Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, what he called the Gospel or Good News about the Kingdom of God. Our purpose in this series of broadcasts has been to ask some fundamental questions about the most basic of all topics in Scripture, namely the Gospel. What is the Gospel? What is the saving message which we must believe in order to take part in the future kingdom of God when Jesus returns to this earth? The Gospel, you see, is not just about the death and resurrection of Jesus, although the death and resurrection of Jesus are absolutely essential elements in the Gospel, but they do not comprise the entirety of the Gospel. It's an absolute fact, and one that you can determine for yourselves with a little bit of study, that Jesus preached the Gospel long before he said a word about his death, and long before, in fact, he died and rose from death. It must, therefore, be false to say that the death of Jesus and his resurrection is the whole of the gospel. If that were so, then what is the purpose of the preaching and teaching ministry of Jesus for some three and a half years before he died? I think you will agree with me that it's essential to distinguish in our minds between the teaching and preaching ministry of Jesus and his subsequent death. What Jesus did when he was alive as a human historical person walking this earth with his disciples was absolutely essential to the gospel. It is false to propose, for example, that Jesus came to do three days' work, to die and to be buried and to be raised. That would be to exclude his words and his own gospel preaching ministry. It would be a savage blow to the entire activity of Jesus as he labored and struggled against a great deal of opposition to convey to the public God's message you see, Christianity is summarized for us in a beautifully instructive verse in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. In fact, two verses there encapsulate the very heart and the essence of the Christian faith. Jesus came into Galilee, we read in Mark chapter 1, verses 14, and he announced God's gospel, God's news, a message, you note, not his own, but coming from God his Father, the one God of Israel, the God of the creed of Israel, of whom it was said that the Lord your God is one Lord. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Jesus came presenting himself as God's Messiah, as God's Son. And the task which he saw that God had given him was that of proclaiming God's gospel. You'll find that in Mark chapter 1, verses 14. And about seven or eight other passages in the New Testament, there's a reference to God's gospel. Now, that's most useful for Bible study. There's only one gospel in the New Testament, and God's gospel is its fundamental title, but it is going to be defined immediately in Mark chapter 1 as the gospel about the kingdom of God. The gospel, we may safely say, therefore, in the New Testament, is God's gospel about the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching that message, offering that idea to the public and inviting a response, in fact a dramatic response to his good news, the necessity of repenting, that's to say, reorientating our lives to a brand new future, a brand new horizon, and coming to believe in the activity of God in history, 
summed up under the idea of the kingdom of God. Not to grasp the gospel of the kingdom of God is to fail to understand Jesus at base one. We must begin at the beginning of the teaching of Jesus. It makes no sense at all to begin our Christianity, let's say, with the Sermon on the Mount or the epistles of Paul. The epistles of Paul are second-level communication. That's to say, Paul's letters were written to people who had already understood the gospel of the kingdom as Paul had preached it when he founded churches in various areas. So in order to understand the Christian gospel, it's essential to begin at the beginning of the preaching ministry of Jesus. And the summary of all of his activity is found there in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. We read in that passage that after John the Baptist had been taken into prison, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's gospel and saying that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was on horizon. And in view of that stupendous fact, everybody should repent, turn around, to restructure their lives on a new basis and to believe in the gospel of the kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, I wonder if that first commandment of Jesus to us as potential followers is clear. Exactly what is Jesus asking us to believe when he invites belief in God's good news about the coming kingdom? What indeed is the kingdom of God? Unfortunately, there's a great deal of confusion in the minds of many Bible readers about what that kingdom is. And if that is so, there is inevitably a great deal of confusion about the gospel itself because the kingdom there and throughout the teaching of Jesus is centered on the kingdom of God idea. Now, the kingdom of God is quite clear to those audiences whom Jesus addressed. Throughout the prophets of Israel, we find a recurring theme in relation to the kingdom. A time is coming when God is going to rule personally and to reverse the state of affairs now found on earth. The idea is that our present evil systems are in chaos the devil is the God of this age, according to Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4. But that time is coming to an end. The devil is going to be crushed. He's going to be put out of office. His activity of deception is going to cease. And from that moment on, at the return of Jesus, the kingdom of God, God's heavenly kingdom, is going to appear not in some area removed from this planet, but on the earth renewed and restored, as it will be during the time of that future kingdom. For that event, we're to pray, Thy kingdom come, as our first priority in daily prayer. What we're beseeching God for in that petition, Thy kingdom come, is that He would send His Messiah back to this earth to reverse the present conditions on earth, to put an end to world hunger, to poverty, to disease epidemic, to divorce and violence, to unnatural sexual practices, in fact, to ungodliness of every sort. And at that point, a new, brand new and wonderful civilization will emerge on the earth under the supervision of the Messiah and the saints who will be risen from the dead at that point. All of those saints will cooperate with Jesus and participate with him in the administration of that coming new age of the kingdom of God on earth. Now, all of that was understood by Jesus' Jewish audiences. If it's not clear to us in the 20th century, it's because 2,000 years have intervened now between the original teaching of Jesus 
and what we have inherited by way of tradition through many comings and goings and theological disputes, there's always the danger, you know, that we are in the same condition as Jesus' audiences once were, that they'd obscured the word of God, God's instruction, God's revelation, with their own traditions. In vain you worship, Jesus said, teaching for commandments the commandments of men. In other words, you have mounted against the scriptures your own agendas, your own theological ideas, your own concept of religion. Jesus calls us back to the divine revelation once and for all given in the canon of Scripture, and he does it by inviting us to get on board God's great agenda, God's plan for the restoration of peace on earth. You are being invited by the gospel to take part in that wonderful plan. It's a plan which affects you personally, so that you may take part in the grand scheme of restoration due to be realized on this earth when Jesus returns. Take, for example, the wonderful passage in Acts 3, verse 21. Heaven, Peter said there, heaven must retain Jesus presently until the time for the great restoration comes on the earth. And that restoration has been spoken about by all the prophets of the Old Testament, Peter said, Acts 3.21. In our old King James Version, the word was restitution. A better modern translation would render it as restoration. The time is coming, Peter said, consequent upon the second coming of Jesus to this earth, when the restoration of all things will occur, just as the prophets of Israel have outlined it for us. To that great event, then, the New Testament strains on page after page. And that's the great event the restoration of all things for which we are praying when we submit to Jesus, request that we pray, Thy kingdom come. You will remember that in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples who had been fully instructed in the nature of the gospel and had preached the gospel under Jesus' supervision and tutelage for three and a half years, they asked, Is this now the time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? You notice there that word restore. And you know in the Bible one has to link passages which contain a word in common. And so the restoring of the kingdom to Israel mentioned in 1.6 must be coupled with the restoration promise in Acts 3.21. Acts 1.6 compared with Acts 3.21, linked indeed with Acts 3.21. From those two precious passages we learn that the kingdom is going indeed to be restored to Israel, and that will be the restoration of all things about which the prophets spoke from ancient days. On that structure, the whole New Testament is built. We're looking forward to the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, and it will be a kingdom administered by Gentiles and Jews who are presently Christians. In fact, the faithful of all the ages will rise in the resurrection in order precisely to administer that new kingdom in which Israel, the ethnic people of Israel, will also have a major part. This will be the fulfillment of everything to which the Bible looks forward from Genesis onwards. Imagine the excitement, as it's expressed in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 18, when that seventh trumpet blows and the faithful believers of all the ages who have been lying asleep in the sleep of death, perhaps for millennia, will re-emerge on a day of unspeakable joy.
to be reunited with their fellow Christians and to live and reign as kings with Christ initially for a thousand years and thereafter into the ages of the ages. That, in a nutshell, is the plan and the purpose which God is working out on the earth and it's all based upon the Abrahamic covenant, God's promise to Abraham that he would give him a distinguished seed who is the Messiah, that he would give him the land forever. Indeed, that land becomes the entirety of the earth. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus, building on the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12. Blessed are the meek, they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. The Bible story is one. There is a unity in Scripture which runs from one end of the Bible to the other, and that unity is best identified by calling it God's great scheme for the restoration of peace on earth or God's kingdom plan, Operation Kingdom, if you like. The man and the plan, the man Messiah Jesus, 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, and God's message about the kingdom entrusted into the hands of Messiah and his faithful followers of all nations and of all ages. These people will combine in that new government that new authority to be exercised across the whole wide world. Remember Psalm 2. Ask of me, the one God says to his Son, the Messiah, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for you to rule over. We invite you to request from us our book describing this kingdom in greater detail and join us again for our continuing investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.